Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Hello, y'all. We are back on the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast and TECN.TV. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Jack Maxwell. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. And welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Jack Maxwell. The groundbreaking new renovation show, American Homecoming, surprises veterans with a home worthy of a hero. Inspired by hit series like Fixer Upper and Extreme Home Makeover, this remarkable show adds a patriotic twist that sets it apart. Many veterans return home to face disability challenges in houses ill-suited for their needs. American Homecoming addresses this issue by sending our heroes on a surprise vacation while a skilled team of carpenters, designers, and volunteers mobilizes to renovate their homes. The family returns to a heartwarming surprise, spoiler alert, a transformed home that now serves our heroes' needs and a yard filled with volunteers, creating an American homecoming befitting a hero. Host Jack Maxwell leads us on this remarkable journey of renovation and giving. His passion for supporting disabled veterans shines through as he ensures our heroes receive the home and homecoming they deserve. Hello, Mr. Maxwell. How are you today? What a wonderful introduction. Hi, Steve. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. It's sunny and bright here in Middle Tennessee, and I bet it is in L.A. as well for you. Is that right? A beautiful day today in Always. Los Angeles. Lots of Always. sunshine. Always sunny in Los Angeles. It's it's not fair to pay taxes <laughs> and not have a sunny day. But thank you for taking the time with us. Um, before we talk about your cool new show, uh, we've been looking forward to having you on to talk booze, foodie stuff, and travel because you've had a lifetime of it. Um, Jack was the host of Booze Traveler, Best Bars, and uh, The Trip with 76 episodes from 2014 to 2018 on Travel Channel. Remind us of doing that show, please. Yeah, sure. I, uh, it was the job of a lifetime. I got to travel the world, meet people, explore cultures, learn things, and have a couple of cocktails along the way. <laughs> it was just the greatest gift. On the studio's dime, you can't beat it. Um <laughs> Right. A native of South Boston. Is that where you got your love of the drink? Yeah, you know, I was a, a shoeshine boy when I was a little kid. It was uh, for my ninth birthday. I asked for a shoeshine kit. And my birthday, which is also on Christmas, I uh, had to combine the presents because uh, we were poor and a single uh, single mother was raising us, and uh, which is totally fine. But I just knew. I, I could I could earn my way in this world. So I asked for a shoeshine kit, got one, and I just walked up and down the streets of West Broadway in South Boston, uh, making uh, making some change for myself uh, in more ways than one. You know, changing my situation and uh, making a little money for pocket money, and it was wonderful. But I would hear these really great stories when people, especially when they had a couple of cocktails in them or beer or whatever, and it was wonderful. Uh, evocative and brilliant stories of of travel and uh, uh, the the enjoyment of going places somewhere new. A lot of people there didn't really travel all that much, um, especially around the world. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I said, "Wow, what an interesting mix! Alcohol 
and uh, travel and storytelling. Who knew <laughs> all these years later uh, I would turn it into a job? Not your normal Southie uh, uh, story, but uh, for you, it worked out really, really well. Um, you are also known for being a hardworking actor. Uh, 1997, I believe, was your first titled uh, called Ad Love. You've been in Saving Private Ryan, Born to Ride, and you won Best Actor as a lead role for Window of Opportunity and was presented with both the Emerald Star Award and Golden Halo Award from the Southern California Motion Picture Council. So you've had an excellent run in the movie business, right? Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, it's certainly not uh, an excellent run. I've done some things probably more familiar to people who would tune into your show. I was on a show called House uh, Lost 24, Without a Trace, Ugly Betty, did some uh, soaps and Power Rangers. The other ones you named are independent things, and I'm not sure people would be all that uh, familiar with them. But uh, Beverly Hills 902 and 0, uh, before the show ended, clearly, the original one, I got to do things like that. So, yeah, it was nice. I mean, the awards, uh, they come and go, of course, the recognition. It's all about being able to do it with people that I love doing it with. That's it. Very cool. All right. Well, you lived in the right neighborhood to get that all done. And I believe, um, jumping ahead here in my notes, but you produced a show that was pretty popular as well. Let's see if I can find it here. You can tell me if you want, and I can save myself the scanning here. But uh, did you? Well, I just, I just Spirit Quest. You wrote and executive yeah. produced Spirit Quest. You yeah, and Sammy Hagar, the Red Rocker, a personal hero of mine. How did that all come about? Is Sammy a cool as he seems to be? Uh, you know, and would you say hi to him for me one day? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's he's the coolest guy. He really is so down to earth. So when I was doing booze travel, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had to go into chemo, um, lost the show, and uh, try to make a comeback. So I created a show called Spirit Quest somewhat like booze travel with some differences and sammy had reached out to me prior and said hey uh i, I loved booze travel let's do something together sometime uh and he was kind enough and generous enough to keep his word a lot of people don't of course and uh we shot spirit quest he was in one of the segments and that's a pilot that's currently out there just won a couple of awards speaking of uh best host or solo performance I just got at the New York City Web Fest and Silicon Beach Film Festivals, two separate awards. And it's in a couple other film festivals upcoming. So I'm very uh, grateful for that. But it's, yeah, it's, it's me doing my thing with culture and cocktails and people. Well, congratulations. Okay, so in Travel, Travel Channel's Booze Traveler, Maxwell ventures the globe to not only get a taste of a country's alcohol, but to quench his curiosity about what people drink why they drink it, and the stories that they tell when they do. At each stop, he connects with locals, immerses himself in regional activities, learns about the country's unique relationship with liquor, and sometimes even participates in the alcohol-making process. Maxwell um, also co-hosted Travel Channel's The Trip 2016, which showcased the distinct cultures, cuisines, and luxuries of five Caribbean islands. So tell us about that show. I think it was three seasons, or maybe four, you tell me, and you went, each episode was a different country and their uh, deep-rooted cultures of eating and drinking. What did you learn about the world and, and how yummy it is? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, the trip was a one-off every year. The Travel Channel was giving away a big vacation, and I was lucky enough to be the host uh, in 2016, 17, and 18 before I stopped doing the show. 
um, along with female co-hosts, generally speaking. Uh, that was different. But Booze Traveler itself, like I said before, the gift of a lifetime, I would go to different countries or sometimes domestically uh, cities here in the United States to explore all of these wonderful people, whether they're known or unknown or people have visited in other television shows or hardly ever, uh, just to hear them tell their stories over a drink, something they made, something from their region, whether it's a secret recipe from their family or something common like beer or wine or moonshine. But it was always over that, never about the drinks, just about who someone is when they sit down with you over a drink and are willing to have a conversation. Even if the drink was so out there and strange and uh, not all that palatable, it was my responsibility, my duty to, to be able to have that with them and to share that experience. Because if they're going to take me in and share their food and their friends and their family, I'm certainly not going to blanch when they give me a drink that I've never had before, even if it's maybe uh, <laughs> something a little hard to get down. It was all part of the entire experience of who they are. And uh, I just think it was wonderful. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind would be uh, Indiana Jones 2, where they have the chilled monkey brains. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, it's, I'm on TV. Yeah. I have to do it like Survivor eating the bugs. But let's talk about some yeah, of the places it was, you were. It wasn't the eating, though. We, we didn't really eat a lot of strange stuff. There was some stuff. In Cambodia, I ate field rat and uh, cooked tarantula over a grill because the family invited me to. But it wasn't that kind of show where it was, let's try to shock the audience. If the locals ate it and drank it, I would do it. And of course, there were some uh, activities like running with bulls and swimming uh, where there were some sharks and, and just fun stuff like that, a lot of travel stuff, but mostly sitting down with someone and finding out who they were, what they're all about, what their life is like in this maybe remote land and uh, having a couple of drinks. So let's talk about some of the places that you went, like maybe in the Mo Mongolia, Nepal, Japan, places that most people don't get to, Japan maybe more so than others, but anything pop out at you from those uh, Asian countries? Sure, you can you can pick any, any of them. In Kathmandu, Nepal, I sat with uh, Babas or holy men and they drink this thing called Banglasi, and it was at Monkey Temple. It was such a cool, uh, I guess, aesthetic of visual and spiritual experience. Really wonderful. Um, Mongolia, we went with Mongolian nomads. They had us on their land. But as is this centuries-old tradition, uh, you have to drink three bowls of what they give you, which is fermented mare's milk called Irog. And they figure if you drink that and you're on their land, you're not going to take it. You're not going to want a war or fight because uh, it uh, gives you a little, <laughs> a little bit of a buzz, as you might imagine. Because uh, you're passed out, just, yeah. It was, no, not really. It's not all that strong. It's oh, okay. just that you're willing to do something that they ask you to do and get a little buzz and have some fun. It's just, it's just a great experience everywhere I went, without exception. How about uh, local, like New Orleans, you had a show, Twain's Mighty Mississippi, Tennessee, Red, White, and Booze, where I am, uh, since this is the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Okay, sure. We'll hit Tennessee. I did old-timey baseball from the uh, mid-1800s. No gloves and uh, fun shout-outs from the guys and nicknames. And uh, it was really great. We lived right in downtown 
uh, Nashville, where we did that, speaking in Nashville. But we also had some great moonshine in Tennessee. Uh, loved the people. They're all very open and uh, uh, willing to uh, to be on camera with us. Had some wonderful experience. New Orleans. How do you not love New Orleans, of course? We were there for the Crew of Boo Parade at Halloween. So that worked out nice. Um, but again, it was uh, never just about the drinks, but uh, it didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a, what a great travel log and what a great library to have. Um, your last episode, it was season four, uh, April 23rd, 2018. So we're talking about some ancient history here. Wet and wild Pacific Northwest. That's where producer Steve is. Probably wet That's right. and always Hi, wild. Steve. Where where can he get wet and wild in the Pacific Northwest that you did? Yeah, well, I don't I don't pick the titles for the shows, the wet and wild and the red, white and booze and things like that. But it's it's wet because obviously, as we all know, uh, a lot of uh, precipitation, a lot of rain, a lot of uh, storm. We didn't get too much, but you know, obviously, some, which is what makes it so lush and green and wonderful, of course. Uh, but we had we had beer up there. We were in the. Uh, in the water and on a jacuzzi boat it's just a jacuzzi in the water and we all sit there and have a couple of drinks i went on a seaplane up there uh we we went to the islands of course and the, this guy makes his own uh moonshine from berries that was great just had the Very best cool. time a lot of people don't know but that's where harrison ford learned to fly those pontoon planes for that movie uh i think six days and six nights or something of that nature and then of course no kidding Eddie Vedder and the entire grunge movement wore flannel, not because it was hip and cool, but because it's freezing in Seattle. And so you have to be warm. Um, <laughs> That's true. Right. Gotta say this warm. one, this one jumped out at me. February, 2018. Home is where the booze is. Where was home is where the booze is. Was it your home? Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, in Boston. Actually, the show opens. It's, it's New England, not just Boston, but the show opens. Uh, I throw out the first pitch at Fenway Park. And, uh, oh, what a wonderful experience. Uh, former Chicago Cub and Boston Red Sox uh, pitcher Ryan Dempster was my guest. Uh, and he taught me how to throw the first pitch. He was my catcher also in the episode. But we covered Maine, uh, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island. It was really great. But to go home, to go to a place like the venerable Fenway Park, I couldn't even afford a ticket to that place when I was a kid. And again, not having a father or older brothers or uncles around to take me to the game. Uh, it would be a rare treat in my life to be able to go. But to, to throw out the first pitch, to see my name up on the scoreboard uh, and just the rousing crowd all saying hello, it was really great. You wow. know, a kid kid coming home and throwing out the first pitch at Fenway and then watching the game and get, being given permission to film there. Oh, it was just the best. Yeah. Well, thanks for going down that memory lane. That was great. The Daily News said Jack Maxwell might have the best job in the world. And I think you probably just <laughs> described the best yeah. job on earth. That is probably Not true. Bad. And um, let's see, travel. I don't know group. if it's the best job in the world, but it's the best job I've ever had. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, they thought so. So, okay. Who knows what the Daily News says, but uh, traveled the globe, drinking a stunning variety of beers, liquors, and fermented camel's milk. All for the new Travel Channel show, Booze Traveler on Travel Channel. So they liked it. Uh, whether you work in Manhattan or herd camels all day in Mongolia, everyone likes a drink after work to take the edge off, said Maxwell. The premiere episode of Booze Traveler was set in Istanbul, where Maxwell learned the historical significance of this a nice flavored liquor. 
It seems the father of modern Turkey, Kemal Ataturk, was such a big fan of the stuff that he was said to have a bottle as part of his presidential cabinet of advisors. Perhaps it's no coincidence that he died of liver can disease. Um, uh, and how great you got these networks to pay you to eat and drink all over the world. So um, at a young age, you made yourself an entrepreneur by shining shoes. You told us that in uh, neighborhood pubs and gin mills, where you listened to the boozy tales that echoed from above him. This early experience awakened his awareness of alcohol's magical socializing effects, has learned his best lessons, stories, and lighthearted jokes in the bar rooms of South Boston. Tell us some of those uh, anecdotes, and then we'll talk about today's show. Sure. Well, we can go back to the Turkey episode if you want. Yeah, Ataturk uh, loved his raka is the uh, alcohol you were talking about, an anise-flavored drink. Uh, it's their their drink, certainly. You know, they're very similar type drinks around the world, but they love their raka. And that's spelled R-A-K-I, but there's a kind of an A sound at the end of it, a short A sound, raka. Uh, and it was delicious. Oh, really good stuff. Uh, as far as anecdotes... Uh, you know, as a as a little kid, like I said before, people would travel and they would come back. And I don't mean tra travel around the world. They might go to Pennsylvania or something or New Hampshire. Because uh, back in the day, I think people traveled a lot less than they do now, certainly. But I just loved the idea of somebody who was, for lack of a better word, stuck in their situation. Maybe they had a lot of kids and they were responsible, hardworking people in South Boston, but maybe their life was mostly right there. And they didn't go to a lot of places. So when they did, it was such a treat. It was wild. People would go down to Florida for the winter and come back and just regale us with tales. I was there. I went to Orlando and Miami and Disney World and SeaWorld, all of these things. And it was just so fascinating that there was another place, because I had never been anywhere, of course, that there was another place where it was so different, whether it was really warm or nice sandy beaches, unlike the rocky ones of Massachusetts, where, you know, we didn't really have the, the, the nice beaches like you'd find in other places. And I just was always interested in other people, other places, and hearing their stories and wondering what I had wanderlust at a very young age, I guess is what I'm saying. That's and, it, yeah. uh, Thanks to the show, I was able to uh, to fulfill some of that. Can anyone go and see these old episodes on Prime or Netflix or anywhere today? Yeah, I don't know where they are exactly. I know they're on Discovery Plus because Discovery bought the network scripts that owned those networks. And uh, I think that it's on some other uh, places. I don't know exactly where. Uh, you know, I it's been, a, it's been a while since I've seen it. But people tell me they still they still watch them. It's on around the world, by the way, in, in other countries, and they're still watching the first run, some of those countries. But it's really right. nice to get correspondence from places where the show is still popular, even if it's not, quote, end quote, popular. It's nice to know that it brings joy to people, uh, and it, it kind of brings us together. You know, during COVID, so many people reached out and said, this is great because it's two things we can't do right now, be around other people and travel. So uh, I got a lot of correspondence, whether it was Facebook or Instagram or Twitter uh, or emails or some people who had my cell phone text and reached out. And by the way, I love that. Uh, I can be found at uh, Southie Jack at Instagram and Twitter. That's S-O-U-T-H, like the direction south, I-E-J-A-C-K. 
And I always like to hear from people who love travel and love other people. And um, certainly, uh, if you like the booze traveler, (laughs) that's a benefit too. And that was ironic. I called you Southie because you're from South Boston. That's what you guys call yourself. So SouthieJack at Twitter.com. You also had a chance to be side by side with Al Pacino. The great one. After the play, uh, a play came out, Al Pacino was criticized for his role, but his response was, what are you going to do? This taught Jack the critical lessons of letting go. And in his own words, if you are afraid of criticism, don't be an artist, don't be an actor. Everyone before us and everyone after us, no matter what profession or what passion they have, they never quit. So this was Pacino, Jessica Chastain, and you. Um, And then Oscar Wilde's Salome, as well as the movie Wild Salome, about the making of the play. What's the big difference between the play and, and your TV jobs? Yeah, first of all, that, what a what a treat that was uh, to be on stage with maybe our greatest living actor and uh, one who's turning into certainly a fine actress in her own right, Jessica Chastain. This is at the beginning of her career. And yeah, it's classical text, so it's not the easiest thing <laughs> for me to get my mind around. But as a member of the actor's studio, um, as Al is and, and, and others, it was just, uh, it's really a great experience. I'd, I'd love to be on stage if, uh, if I could support myself that way. Some people do, not, not many of us. That's why there's television and film, but yeah, it was Oscar Wilde's, uh, Salome. It was written in, uh, the beginning of the, uh, 1900s, I believe. And so it, it carries on. It has many messages, uh, and points that are uh, still relevant today. And it just, it was so great because, we got to do the play and then we filmed it afterwards. So it's on DVD. Uh, like you say, it's called Wild Salome. And uh, it was just so great to see this man do his thing and how brilliant he is. And he was a kind man. And I don't know who it was, but some newspaper criticized this performance in some way. And, you know, he just being the professional that he is, you know, you know, you can't please everyone. And we just went on and did it. But I think most everyone, especially people who attended it, loved it and loved his performance you know they criticize him for being too big being too small being not that just people like to criticize um, what do you, he said, I, he I, said I, what are you gonna do which is one of my favorite you, lines from donnie brosco which he was in anyway donnie depp delivered it but same line so yeah it's like what hey. are you gonna do that's it uh but it was a great experience certainly different than something like booze traveler which is not written no script i just get out there and talk to people and do my thing um a play certainly you want to stay word for word and television and film the same for the most part uh, but it's it's all different experiences really great whether it's a reality show that i'm hosting or being on stage with, with al pacino and jessica chastain uh and there were others in the cast as well clearly not just the three of us or a television show where you just have a few lines it's it's all wonderful it's all part of the creative process and i just i have to express myself uh, no matter what the format or the genre, uh, and I'm blessed to be able to do so. And that's a biblical story. Uh, Salome was a girl who agreed to perform the dance of the seven veils in return for John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. Was that something that Al Pacino uh, wanted to do uh, because of a, a religious desire for art, or, or was it just the, the, the product he had in his hand at the time? What, what, what made that story come alive? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly why, but he's been, he was doing the play for a long time. He did it in New York, did it in Broadway. Uh, it's just a great play, I think, is why he wanted to do it. And to be a part of it uh, was just, oh, I'm just so thankful. Because I learned a lot, too, watching The Master and Jessica. And 
Diane Weist was in the uh, the reading which preceded the play. And uh, it was just great to watch people who are so wonderful do their thing. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's a guy in the in the play with me who I just saw. He, he's doing a one man show in Los Angeles. Just got to see him do it, so we reconnected. Oh, it's just a, it's a great experience. And Want to give uh, a shout out I, to that guy. Uh, Brian Dellett is his name, and uh, I don't know if his by the time this is on whether he's going to still be doing the show. But I just love that people. You know, whether it's something like that or a one man show or anything in between, all of it, we just keep creating. Keep expressing ourselves. For me and the people that I certainly associate with, uh, for most of us, it's just not about being famous or rich or being on television or up on the big screen. It's just about doing it. It's just about the artistic expression that makes yeah. it all worthwhile. No, you, you're a passionate guy and you have a passion for supporting our nation's disabled veterans. And you're going to continue that to, on this journey of giving our heroes the home and homecoming they deserve. So tell us about the new show. Yes, it's called American Homecoming, and I'm so thrilled to be able to host that. Um, the man who created it, Tracy Trost, is the uh, director and creator of that. Although there are similar programs that when, I, when I, a vet, whether it's a man or woman, whether they're serving overseas or domestically, when they come home different, for lack of a better word, whether they're disabled or they have PTSD, in this particular instance, our Navy guy was in a wheelchair and he had cancer that was crushing his spine and it was forced him into a wheelchair. And now he comes home to his house. He can't get around. He has steps in front. He has a door that's not wide enough for a wheelchair to fit through. So as to be carried over the threshold and then put back in the chair, which had to be folded up and then brought into the living room. And then there's uh, carpeting and it's hard to wheel your wheelchair over carpeting. And then there, there is a tub and to get in and out of the tub, never mind on, off and on the toilet. It's just, just imagine, see, what it'd be like to be in a wheelchair for a day or a week, never mind the rest of your life. So through American Homecoming, we find these, these noble veterans, these heroes who gave so much for us and we totally redo the house. For instance, those steps, we take them out, we put in ramps, the doorways we widen. We, we pull out the, the, the bath pubs and put in showers, rip out the uh, carpeting and put in hardwood floors. And then we create a beautiful atmosphere and aesthetic as well with new paint and wallpaper and plants and art and things like that. I mean, it's the least we can do, not just to make it livable, but to, to make it a place where they want to be because they're going to be spending a lot of time there, uh, most likely. And it was just, it was real pleasure uh, and honor, actually, to be a host of a show like that, to help our vets, to give back to those who gave so much for us, really. That's, uh, I mean, that could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is oh, and it did. <laughs> it did sure. And so is this something that charity is doing? I know CityGate Entertainment is a Oklahoma company. Um, I believe they're the producers of this show. Are they just giving this That's all true. as donations? Or are they getting it from NGOs? How are they pulling it well, off? Well, yeah, they, they cobbled together uh, the funds to do that. Certainly that's not my uh, purview, right? I'm just a host of the show. I don't know exactly how they do that. Uh, I know that DAV is one of our partners and uh, we're certainly looking for more so we can keep doing this for our vets, not just for the pilot, which is the one we shot, just a single episode. Um, but going forward, you know, you can, by the way, you can see the show at AmericanHomecoming.tv and you can check it out. You can sign up to be a delegate, which just means you'll 
pass it on to other people or you'll spread the word. Uh, I'm sure there's a, if you want to be more involved somehow, I'm sure there's a way to do that at that website. Again, it's AmericanHomecoming.tv, but you can see the whole episode for free. And uh, boy, if, if, if you watch that show and you're not touched, uh, I don't know what to tell you because it's a wonderful story. And as you say, of course, there's a happy ending because the show is uh, about fixing the house and, and improving the, li- uh, the life of that particular veteran. But also in the, in the pilot episode, there's another twist that's really kind of cool. I got to say, it's so, jeez, uh, I don't even want to hint at it. But it was this beautiful surprise, and uh, we all couldn't be happier. It was really, really nice. Very cool. Well, I'm sure, I mean, I'm now I'm very excited to see what that is, and I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but you have um, families, of course, that are involved in this too, right? I mean, they don't just come home from <laughs> serving overseas and injured and from the hospital probably for a year or more and then come home and they're alone. They have to adapt this entire new living space to their families as well, and everybody can then live happily ever after. Is that about right, or is it always just a, a solo uh, dwelling? No, no, it's, it is it is whatever it is at the time. Whoever that veteran is that gets chosen, and there are many ways to find these veterans. There are certainly many of them, too many of them, that are in need. Uh, we got to take care of them. We have to. We must. Instead of blaming the other side or saying we should do more for our vets, let's just do it. How about that? Let's just do it. And that's why I'm so happy to be a part of it. But whether they're single and live by themselves, or they live with their families, or they live with their girlfriend, or boyfriend, or wife, or husband, whether they have children or not, if they're deserving, we'll go in and give them the home they deserve. Nice. All right. And each episode concludes with the unsuspecting family returning to a yard filled with our army or volunteer, our army of volunteers waiting to introduce them to their new home, one that is more welcoming, livable, and easier to navigate with greater accessibility. As an added bonus, the house is updated with new furniture, appliances, decor, and household goods. Wow, they're really coming out pretty good on this thing. Yeah, they um, go all out, I have to say. we uh, I'm really proud to be a part of this project. They, I, just, they I was going to ask about the volunteers the themselves. They, well, they don't just do it for television. They do it for this family. And the volunteers themselves, in this case, it was Dell City, Oklahoma, and I don't know exactly where they got the volunteers from. They get them from different places, different towns around there. It's never the same group of volunteers because they're locals mostly. But we have a construction crew. We have an engineer. We have uh, a contractor. We have a, de- a designer. I have co-hosts. Uh, C.C. Mazik, who was in the Army, and Dave Riley, who was in the Coast Guard. Uh, and it's just, it's an amazing story outside of the, the house and the retrofitting of the house it's it's just a beautiful touching heartwarming story as well what about the surprise vacation what kind of uh exotic locales are you sending them off to for a week well again it was just a pilot episode but in the future i can see us sending them to wherever they want to go because in truth we don't want to give away the surprise right we don't want them coming back to the house every day and saying oh how about this how about that go away we, we, we raise the funds. We send you away for a week with your family or by yourself or wherever you want to go. And then when you come back, and, and of course, that's a tight window, right, to fix a whole house in a week. But uh, I was, I'm amazed at the craftsmanship uh, and the work ethic of the people who are involved with this. But, yeah, in a week they come back and, ta-da, <laughs> here's the reveal, whether you like it or not. Because, you know, it, 
our, our veteran, uh, Garrett Robitaille, he comes back and we have GoPro cameras in his car. So you can see his mind working. What, and he even says, what's, what's, what's it going to look like? I wonder, what do they have in store for me? And he comes back in and gives the most wonderfully honest and vulnerable response as he, as he gets wheeled into the house, uh, coming up the ramp. And he crosses the, 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 the threshold, the doorway. He looks around and you're wondering what he's going to say, right? Oh, thank you. It's so wonderful. This be no, he was just really honest. He said, well, what, what have you done to my house? Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks so different, you know? Uh, but in the end, he loved it. It was just great. That's fantastic. And is it picked up for a season? Are we going to be able to see this? On, uh, uh, maybe 13 there episodes or something normal? Therein lies the rub, as Shakespeare said. That's the trick right there. We're trying to get it uh, made into a series. We're looking for partners uh, on the uh, network side or, or a streamer or cable, but also on the construction and, and the sponsorship side. You know, we will put together whatever we can to get more episodes done. It doesn't matter which network it's on or which cable or wherever. We just want to do as many as we can to help as many vets as we can. Very cool. All right. Um, and does the VA help with any of these expenses or for helping you find the veterans that, that can be in this? Or I guess you don't know yet because it hasn't been established, like you were just saying. But how do you find the veterans? Do they apply? Do they go online and fill out an application? Yeah, there are many ways. First of all, I don't believe the VA is involved at all. That's a government agency. DAV is not a government agency. It's you know volunteers and donations, what have you. So we're more in line with that, although we're happy to partner with uh, corporate entities who want to kick in and try to try to help. Um, it's, you know, it's a great feel good story, uh, isn't it? But, you know, we don't know what the future is going to look like on the show. We're willing to adapt, of course, but as long as we help our veterans, I'll be happy. Yeah. I'd like to see it run for 10 years. Um, so in 2017, you were diagnosed, uh, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer that originates in the white blood cells. You said, I'm out there, I'm doing hikes, I'm trying to do as much as I can. I'll walk around the block with weights, I'll get some sun, I don't let it get me down. That was five years ago. Um, next month, I read that in US Weekly, uh, December 2017. How are you doing? Uh, and is that what you attribute your lust for life and boundless energy to? Uh, thanks, I'm doing great so far. Uh, knock, knock on wood. I had a real easy go through it, I have to say. Not everybody does. So I was very lucky in that respect. Um, I don't know if my lust from life, uh, lust for life comes from surviving. I think I always had that, you know, uh, growing up where I did in the D Street projects with not a lot. Uh, I was always grateful to get whatever I could get. And in this case, I lost a television show. I lost my health. Uh, it was very expensive to treat myself um, through this process of getting better and doing maintenance chemo afterwards. And I was just grateful for it all, certainly not getting cancer, but for the experience to test myself because I felt afterwards that now I can do anything. I thought maybe before, maybe I could, but to get through it, even though it wasn't the most difficult cancer to beat, I guess in the pantheon of cancers, but just to get through it, the mental games that, that it can you know drag you through, it can really be depressing. It can be even debilitating. Uh, physically and mentally, but I knew that my attitude about it was going to mean everything. I had to get through that in the best way possible uh, for myself, for my family, for my friends, for everybody who counted on me to go forward. I knew I was a, 
an example, I guess, because there are, uh, thankfully, so many people who really enjoyed the show who reached out and said, hey, man, we're with you. You know, show us that you can do that, too. Not only that you can travel around the world and talk to strangers and have drinks with them and have wonderful experiences, but but lead us, show us that you can get through this because it's inspiring to follow your journey. So so let, let's please keep keep in touch. Let us know what, what the journey is like and the chemo and the after effects of everything. So that's why we went to Us Weekly, as you mentioned, and we did a uh, an exclusive interview with them. And I just told my story. And so many people reached out and said, hey, I love what you're going through. I love how you're doing it. Can you be my cancer buddy? Or I just want you to know it's inspiring. I have a friend or a family member who's going through this. And I got to say, man, to watch someone who we, 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 we see on television, and we love your show. To see you going through it the way you are uh, causes us to be even more inspired by you. We really admired you doing it that way. And I did it for my own sake because I wanted to survive and to thrive. I, I just didn't want to just get through it and, you know, be a mess afterwards. I wanted to get through it the best way possible. And thankfully, I was able to. Wow. God bless. That sounds fantastic. Well, Jack, we are out of time here. Um, uh, please let everyone know where they can go to find out more about you. I know you gave us your Twitter handle, Twitter handle, but give it to us again and any other social media you want them to follow you on. Oh, very thanks. Inspi yeah, very Twitter, inspiring. Twitter, otherwise known as X. Uh, now I guess, uh, it's Southie Jack S O U T H I E J A C K. Same with Instagram, by the way. And don't try to find me on Facebook because there are so many, <laughs> so many Jack Maxwells. I get friends from high school uh, and, and after that who are trying to reach out, even someone from grade school. They said, we did, we did too many Jack Maxwells, although my picture is there. But then you have impersonators who pretend to be me. I don't know why you'd want to be me. It's not that interesting to be me, but I'm certainly grateful uh, for that, for sure. For me being me, I'm saying, for being able to have the experiences I've had. But if you reach out on Twitter and um Instagram, I'll certainly say hi back. I have a lot to go through, but I'll get to you eventually. And if you want to know anything about the show or anything like that, especially, well, I, as you mentioned, I did the show called Spirit Quest as well. Uh, I can tell you about that. But American Homecoming is at AmericanHomecoming.tv. Let me know what you think of it. Let me know if you have any veterans because you asked the question. I'm not sure I answered it. We get those from all over, whether it's someone on social media reaching out saying, hey, I have a vet who we feel is worthy or different organizations will put up their veterans or you just hear about it through conversations or at dinner parties because there are so many, which, you know, that's shame on us for not taking care of our vets uh, better than we do. And I know there's a lot of red tape and it's, it's, it's a little more tricky than it sounds, but we must, we must take care of them, especially when they can't even live in their house anymore. It's not like we're giving them the world uh, and millions of dollars in fancy cars. We're just trying to restore a semblance of their old life, just a little bit to say thank you. And any vet that I see who uh, I think is in a situation like that, I will certainly forward their name. So if you want to reach out to me with that, uh, I'll be able to pass it on. Uh, I'll be happy to pass it on as well. But for right now, it's one episode, AmericanHomecoming.tv. If you want to be more involved, you can be. It's all at the website. And uh, thank you for anything you do. Even if you just watch it and feel inspired and thank a veteran, well, I'll have done my job then. Very cool. Thanks for sharing it with us. I'll have you on again sometime. Thanks for having me. It would be a pleasure. 
With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I don't Going. All right. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Steve's a little foggy on the screen there. There he is. There's that beautiful face. All right. Uh, we're going to cover what we just heard. And let his, he's muted. But what do you... <laughs> you know, <laughs> too it, many you know it. it. Too many buttons with the man in the chair. But producer buttons. Steve, what do you think of our guest, Jack Maxwell? Hopefully you can hear him. Oh, I heard everything. And uh, right. Steve, what was really inspiring is he really believes in what he's doing. And how I can tell is he spent two minutes there at the end just sharing his passion about oh, yeah. helping people out, and uh, that's what it's all about. So he's got a winning combination. We wish him the best. His uh, The company that he's doing this with, may they uh, get 13 episodes, 26, 38, and uh, help a number of veterans that need that help. Yeah, every episode's a veteran, so ringing a bell all right let's uh before we run out of time let's start with clip number one i'm gonna frame this conversation with clip number one. okay let me get over there and let's see is this the bill maher one yeah i think it is spoiler, spoiler. news outlets across the world and found that while other countries mix the good news in with the bad the u.s national media reported almost 90 percent bad news even as things were getting better, the reporting remained negative. And politicians, they lie because it's their nature to cover their ass so they don't get blamed if things goes badly. And also to keep in practice. <laughs> but when all of our sources for medical information have an agenda to spin us, yeah, you wind up with a badly misinformed population, including on the left. Liberals often mock the Republican misinformation bubble, which, of course, is very real. Ask anyone who works at Hillary's pizza parlor. <laughs> and we do know conservatives have some loopy ideas about COVID, like the third of Republicans who believe it couldn't be spread by someone showing no symptoms. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between 1 and 5%. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. 
All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? All right. So the Hillary pizza parlor thing is back in the news. I'll leave that to y'all to look into, not today on this show, but so even very left pro pot, which has caused great damage. Even Snoop Dogg says he's getting uh, out of it and giving it up uh, after going mainstream with it. He and Martha Stewart, even Bill Maher back when that was April, 2021, knew the left was going too far. Let's listen to this. When it's taken to the extreme, this is a person named Luca Hine. Luca Hine, a Minnesota 21-year-old, is suing the doctors who performed a double mastectomy on her when she was just 16 as part of her gender transition. Remember Chloe Cole, Steve? Yes. A lot, yep. yeah, a lot of the same language to describe what happened to her that Luca uses. So check this out. Clip number two, just a piece. Lines thrown around a lot like, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? Doctors saying this. Uh, Yeah, medical professionals will say this. You have, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? Uh, Would you rather be planning a transition or a funeral? Um, And they will tell this to parents who are desperate. Seriously, They are desperate. And then to the kids, of course, it is one, you're already instilling that fear of suicide because- we know suicide has a social contagion factor. And when you tell vulnerable young people mm. that like if you, you know, this is your only way out and if you don't get that, the, your other option is essentially suicide, it lives in your head. I was never a suicide risk um, before I transitioned. And throughout my transi- transition, I wasn't really a suicide risk either, um, except even then I still had that thought in the back of my head of like, okay, well, I've had surgery and I'm, I'm not suicidal now, but like if I if I don't go on to the next step of transition, will I be? And so it is a driving factor and it comes from a place of fear. And then you have the other half of it, which is essentially the love bombing and affirmation from the community and these same medical professionals um, telling you, okay, well now you found, you found your true self. You are, you know, this is who you're always meant to be. Um, And essentially just going through and being like, you're valid. You are loved. Your parents don't understand you, but we do. And we're here to listen and we're here to help you. Um, all while driving that wedge in between a parent and a child when when a child is going something through like going through something like this, they need their parents close and they need to be building that relationship and a great sign that this is not a like necessarily kind and is honestly predatory action is the fact that if it was really, you know, such a suicide risk, if it was really such a present thing, you would want these parents involved as much as possible and you would be building that relationship of love instead of breaking down that trust. Did, did TikTok have anything to do with it or no? Because you're, you're, you're born in 2002. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're 21, <laughs> right? So TikTok mm-hmm. is still a thing in your life at the time if you're 16. I don't know if TikTok I, was... I, I believe it was called Musical.ly at right, the time. Musical.ly, yes. <laughs> um, I was never on that. Uh, I watched a lot of YouTube. Okay. Um, YouTube and Instagram. I was never... People like to point to Tumblr. I was never on Tumblr. Um, really, really just that. And also just like... Finding out about this stuff, because I I will say I found out about a lot of this stuff because it came into prominence kind of um, right when right after gay marriage was legalized. Um, And then all of a sudden the tone shifted and all these other words were coming up. And so, of course, you know, I was in like junior high when gay marriage was legalized. 
And it was, you know, that was kind of a lot of uh, people my age is first, especially if you live a little bit more sheltered or you're like in a little bit smaller school. That was like the first introduction to the LGBT community. And of course it was, you know, presented as like, oh, well, love is love, all, all this, all this stuff, you know. Um, and then after that was legalized, there was a like firm tone shift from, you know, gay adults doing what they want and getting married yep. like that all of a sudden to the trans stuff. There's right to the trans stuff. Um, yep. And the, the, the theory about that is that all these, all these like activist organizations, once gay marriage was legalized, they didn't have anything else to fight for. So they shifted mm. to the trans stuff. Yep. Boom, right there. Okay. Okay. Did you catch that? Words and phrases. Love bomb, place of fear, affirmation, true self, valid, wedge between the families like communism, and most importantly, firm tone shift once gay marriage was legal to the trans stuff to fight for. Mm-hmm. Other words coming up. Poor kid. I hope she finds peace. TikTok, bad news. The Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade also unleashed the activists of the left with something old is new again to fight about. That's what we're seeing right now. By the way, that's on YouTube. Shock they haven't taken it down called Exposed, the dark side of detransitioning with Patrick Bet David hosting Ollie London and lawyer Aaron uh, Friday as well as who we just heard from. Um, It's about two hours long if you want to hear the whole thing. Totally worth it. Which brings me to this article. Why it's time for LGB to divorce T and Q by Social Links for Chadwick Moore, published November 18th, 2023, 10 days ago. A stand-up comic named Paul Elia joked to an audience in Los Angeles last month about the newfangled pride flag, which has in recent years replaced the better-known rainbow flag as many LGBT events in America. At many. It was like six additional colors that represented the transgender and non-binary community, Elia enthused. They had gay pride outside my house, and I was watching everybody waving it around, and then I saw some people with the old gay flag. Is that like the gay confederacy, Elia asked? What if there's a gay civil war? The audience chuckled, but Elia was onto something. A movement is underfoot on both sides of the Atlantic to decouple the alphabet soup that has come to be known as LGBTQ+. As rising numbers of old-fashioned LGBs see it, the T for transgender and Q for queer don't necessarily have much in common with gays and lesbians. For these ideological reformists, the LGBTQ mashup and community-wide obsession with trans issues is sowing confusion and chaos within politics and popular culture, eroding much of the progress sexual minorities have fought to achieve. Their nascent efforts have led to a swell in both online and IRL activism that's pushing back against gender ideology and fueling a movement increasingly known as LGB without the T. We feel shackled into the umbrella term by organizations that are supposed to serve us but have actually turned against us, explained Kate Barker, CEO of the London-based LGB Alliance, which was established in late 2019 to advance the interest of lesbians, gay men, and bisexuals. It has come to a point where many of us find ourselves forced into a relationship we never consented to and feel we cannot leave. The conflict, as activists like Barker see it, is not merely about nomenclature. The rising prominence of transgender and queer issues has resulted in a backlash against middle-of-the-road gay and lesbian political wins such as marriage equality and the parental rights. 
as topics affecting those who are transgender, such as restrooms access and medical interventions, drown out endless headlines, gays and lesbians are losing the longtime allies that have helped secure crucial civil liberties. There is ample data to support claims that radical elements are damaging public opinion of all LGBTs. Earlier this year, a Gallup poll revealed that support for same-sex relationships fell from 71% to 64% in just one year, the largest single shift recorded in more than 20 years. The decline came in tandem with an increase in Americans who oppose changing one's gender from 51% in 2021 to 55% this year. Hard to believe only four points moves, but it moved the right direction. The Gallup numbers show follow a survey conducted last year by the Public Relations Research Institute, which found that Americans are widely in favor of general non-discriminatory laws providing LGBTs eight in 10 back policies, securing jobs, public accommodations, and housing, but that support erodes when special privileges for trans people framed as rights by the researchers enter the picture. Some 61% oppose boys playing in girls' sports. Oh, yeah. Um, Hey guys, this is Riley Gaines, a recent graduate from the University of Kentucky where I was a part of the swim team. I'm a five-time SEC champion, 12-time NCAA All-American, and you're watching the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. Welcome to my quotes for the day, but before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button and follow us. I really hope you like it. The American dream has now morphed into an expectation, and if it isn't provided or it doesn't happen, then people feel cheated. Rush Limbaugh. I am living proof that the American dream still exists. It is still live and well. There's only one trick. You have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and work very, very hard. Paula Dean. I drink to make other people more interesting. Ernest Hemingway. Always do sober what you said you do drunk. That will teach you to keep your mouth shut. Ernest Hemingway. Alcohol may be man's worst enemy, but the Bible says love your enemy. Frank Sinatra. Here's one for you, Steve, since you wrote two books you can relate. Writer's block is a fancy term made up of whiners so they can have an excuse to drink alcohol. <laughs> Steve Martin. All the best folks are named Steve. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Jack Maxwell, for reminding us there's a whole big blue world out there and it's good. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time and G2G. I think we have another two minutes so I can actually finish As, what I started. Uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, there are resources there. There's technical assistance there. And there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. And that was Joe Biden's education secretary, Miguel Cardona, completely missing the mark on this popular phrase from former President Ronald Reagan. Listen. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Oh, everyone knows that phrase. <laughs> yes. That's our education secretary, folks. Keeping the kids out of the learning business and into the comedy business, I guess we got to put oh, it there. So, man. Well, here we go. Here we go. See you tomorrow.
laughter of the children and the pumpkins at the county fair. They were looking for America behind every turn, flying the very colors that so many love to burn. I'll cruise the countryside. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.